Welcome to The Correspondent. Think of this podcast as an audio journal of things loved, fears, and just everyday joys and struggles as I venture off with my business. This podcast is for the dreamers, doers, and shakers, those who know there is more to life than a nine-to-five job, adulting, and managing routines. If you dare to explore the new and look at the world with wonder, this podcast is definitely for you. I am Evelyn Corral, your host. Let's get started. Rita Asfahani is the founder of Root Architects and has over 20 years of experience in the design and construction fields. Throughout his career, Rita has studied and traveled throughout the country, Europe, and the Near East. He emphasizes on historic preservation, sustainable design, and urban revitalization. Rita has worked with nationally recognized design firms in Boston and San Antonio before moving home to El Paso and is actively involved in the city's revitalization efforts. Okay, so today we have Rita Asfahani. Did I say it correctly? No, nope, not at all. No? <laughs> how do you say it? My name is Rida. Well, it's funny because my parents argue about how to say my name. Because okay. my dad says it's Rida, and my mom says it's Rida. And my mom's like, that's the proper way to say it. And my dad's like, I named him after my dad. And that's what we called my dad. So shut the hell up. So they fight about it all the time. And then yeah. growing up here, nobody could say it. So when I got yelled at, it sounded like Rida. And so everybody just... Rita. Rita just yeah. And for me, it's like my, my Mexican accent, I have to say Rita. Yeah. Or, right? You know, it's just... It's funny. It's I, funny. I, I, um, what does your name mean? It is an old Arabic word for somebody who is satisfied or like a form of satisfaction. Okay. So do you think you're satisfied? No. <laughs> and I don't think I bring anybody to <laughs> I think all I do is piss people off. But so we had kids and we wanted to give them names um, that were Middle Eastern-ish and because my family is Lebanese and Syrian and so my eldest daughter's name is Eva and then my youngest daughter's name is Noor and O-O-R but we just wanted it to be easier to say than yeah. like everybody else in my family. Cool, cool, cool. So tell us a little bit about your background. You started to say where you're from. Well, um, I'm born and raised in El Paso. My parents are immigrants. My dad's from Lebanon and my mom's from Syria. I moved to the States in the 70s. My dad went to college in California. And then he moved out here to go to medical school. He went in Juarez. And when the plan was he was going to graduate, so he moved here and I was born and he was going to graduate and then go back to Lebanon. And 40 plus years later, <laughs> they're still here. Uh, and so, yeah, I was born and raised here, and I have an older sister and a younger brother, and we just, like, my dad worked here, he started doing well, things were nice, and then I went to, uh, my dad's a physician, I went to college to be a doctor, so I went to have a biology and a chemistry degree, and mm-hmm. one day I got in a really bad car accident up in Ridoso, and just had to reevaluate life a little bit, and was just sitting around and it's like, yeah, I should 
you know, I was building Legos in, you know, in my parents' house. And my mom's like, all you do is draw pictures and build stuff. You should go to architecture school. And like a little epiphanal light bulb went off. I'm like, oh, shit. So I looked into it. There's a thing. And so I went to grad school in San Antonio and then worked a bunch of places. I lived in Boston and Dallas and Albuquerque and Fort Worth and traveled a bunch and then moved back here in 2009 and started an architecture company. Cool. So why did you decide to start a company rather than working for somebody else? Or did you work for somebody else before? I always, you, you have to, and the process of us doing what we do as architects, it's very frustrating because a lot of people, especially in areas that are underserved, like El Paso, will go around and be like, this is my architect, this is my architect. And you talk to those guys and they're like, oh yeah, I went to architecture school in Mexico. I'm like, you God damn it. Like I went to graduate school and then I had to do a three year internship and then I had to take nine tests and do continuing education and all this stuff. And you like went to college in a different country or barely finished it here. Like it, you can't just, it's, it's illegal for me to go to a different state and say that I'm an architect unless I'm licensed in that. Like I can't go to Illinois and say I'm an architect. I can say I practice architecture in the state of Texas, but I can't falsely imply that I'm providing a service. Right. And so it's super frustrating because it's a lot of hard work and we're very, very, very um, aware of kind of the undercutting that happens because I did have to work for people. I did have to do an internship. The internship was 750 units and each one of those units equates to eight hours and it's not in one category. So, I mean, it took me like, it, it takes forever. It's like really hard. And so you get to a point where you do all of those things and then you're eligible to take tests and then you take the test. And so I was working for people. And to answer your question is that, you know, I came back here, I was excited to come back here because I wanted to make my city better. It was good for me and uh, give my kids the same kind of opportunity. And I traveled a lot and I know a lot of things about city rehabilitation and historic preservation and urban design and all of those things. And so I'm like, El Paso needs help with all of those. So I came back, but then, then you start working for people and everybody kind of has their own agenda. And you work for somebody, he's the boss and the opportunities I had, like, and I learned a lot of stuff, but they had their own agendas, which I didn't particularly agree with. I mean, everybody wants to make money, but I chose this profession because I felt like I could not only be successful at it financially, but make a pretty solid impact socially and community and community based and make my family proud and make my kids proud. And in order to do that, I had to take some chances. Right. And then taking those chances meant not listening to what this guy had to say and going, starting my own things and doing things a certain way. And 10, 11 years later, I'm still doing it. So I guess I haven't been that bad. Well, that's nice. Um, what are some of the challenges that you see as being your own boss? Well, I always tell everybody that I work for an asshole and it's very <laughs> difficult because he's very demanding and is mean to me and all of those things and doesn't pay me on time and stuff like that. But there's running a business and being a professional are two different, very different things. Like you always hear about like how professional athletes or physicians are terrible business people, right? Because like you're good at hitting a baseball, but not really good at saving your money or you're good at you know, fixing somebody's broken arm, but not all that good at being able to run a successful business. And so 
what the, one of the reasons why I chose architecture was that I liked that I kind of had to become a little micro expert in everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked on distilleries and breweries and hospitals and private residences and like all of these things, right? And so you have to you have to be in the mindset of the owner and try to satisfy or accomplish whatever needs that they might have for a particular project. Um, so you have to wear a bunch of different hats. Like that is makes, I mean, it translates well to the professional stuff because I'm got an architect and then I got to take that hat off and do accounting. And I got to take that hat off and do marketing. And I got to take that hat off or do IT stuff. As you know, like now I'm trying to figure out how to network the <laughs> office and stuff like that. Like I don't I've got time for that. But I also need to know how to do it because if it goes down, I don't want to call you at two in the morning like, hey, um, what's your husband? I need to talk to him. He's asleep. <laughs> Can you call? Can you wait till tomorrow? So, I mean, there's a lot of challenges like that because you have to delegate and you have to trust people and then you have to relieve some of that responsibility. But shit, it's hard. It's hard to do when you when it's your little baby. But you prefer that than working for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I like the freedom and independence, and I more so like to be able, the ability to be able to do what I think is best. And I think that I've been a good mentor to the people that have worked for me, and I think that I've been a plus in El Paso with the kind of projects that we work on because we, we have a client today that we're meeting with that uh, he has this really great idea. He was working with some people that kind of led him astray. And I have the ability to like essentially say like, how much money do you have left? We'll do it. Not if you don't give me my full fee, then I'm out. And because we have faith and we believe in that project and I can't make that call working for somebody. You know, I'm gonna do something that's gonna make our downtown better. And I'm gonna be actively involved in it. And my kids are going to be proud of it, and that's okay. You know, I'm, that that has value, and I can make that decision. So, it gets it gets you, you get some of those like moral dilemmas and philanthropic ideas, and like how you can use your resources to help people out. And I like not being able or not having to ask anybody's permission to do that. Yeah, I agree. I like it too. All right. So you talked about being a mentor to some of your employees. How have you done that? And what is the importance of being a mentor? I chain them to their desks. And tell them <laughs> that we physically abuse them. And no, so part of the process of the, they call it the intern development program for architects. And part of the process is you have to assign yourself a supervisor and a mentor to like guide you through the process. And I had one of those and you know, you know, like it's it's a long road to be an architect, and it's very frustrating because, especially in today's time, I mean, there's not that instant gratification. Like, I graduated, where's my job? It's like I graduated, I got to go back to more school. I graduated, now I got to go get paid to dirt to do grunt work, and then I have to figure out a time to take all of these exams and do all of these things. So it gets like daunting and overwhelming, right? And so you have to let people know that it is a marathon it's not a sprint mm-hmm. and every day you need to move forward and uh, you have the opportunity to change careers at any point in your life right but 
if you're frustrated and unhappy with the progress now, like what are you doing about it? One and two, what makes you think you're not going to be frustrated and unhappy if you pick a different profession? My dad told me because、um, I was also had some low points in my life where I'm like, should I maybe quit this and go work for、uh, before before I was licensed? Before, you know, like quit this architecture thing and just go back to medical school or go、mm-hmm. get a job and whatever. My dad's like, you know, you can do whatever you want, son, and we'll support you. You want to go to medical school? We'll help you pay for it. You want to go to law school? Whatever you want to do, like, on the condition that you finish. Like,、right. but like, no, no, no. You get that license and you put it in your back pocket. And you say, I finish, and then you can do whatever the hell you want to do, and we'll support you. But you can't quit until you finish because you're not giving it a fair opportunity. And you're like, yeah, I know. And so you like go through this whole thing, and then one day you finish, and you're like, "Oh my God, it was all worth it. It's been great." You know, we have there's a lot of validation for the things that we do, and so we try to, within our office structure and just the kind of feel about how we do things,、um, just like to let people know that there's value. I mean, even at the intro level, like they're helping us make things great, and their input is important, but also. Constantly showing them that there's more and more and more. It's not just like you design a room or you have an idea for how a restaurant should be laid out. But you know, I go home and I spend a bunch of time reading about why things are good and why things are bad and why this particular type of construction is ruining modern American downtowns and like what kind of building materials are more environmentally friendly. Like that's the fun thing about it is that. I mean, as a physician, if you break your arm, you know, a patient comes in with a broken arm. Like humans have been breaking arms since they've been humans, and there's one way to fix them, right?、Mm-hmm. There might be a new cast and you know some better pain medication or something like that, but it's generally the same. And you're dealing with this one person at a time. Like, hey, I fixed your arm.、You're、like, yeah, see you in a couple weeks. But with the work that we do, I mean, we have to know what's new and what people are thinking and evolve and keep up with. Uh, whatever is going on around the world, because our jobs is like literally shaping the built environment around you, right? And it needs to have context. It needs to have intelligence to it, and it needs to be focused on the youth because they're the ones.、Mm-hmm. Like you know, we build a restaurant right now, and I got a 23-year-old working upstairs in our office. Like that. That person is going to be going to that restaurant a lot more than I'm going to be going to that restaurant,、mm-hmm. and they're going to get older one day, and they're going to have kids, and they can say like, "Hey guys, like I worked on this place, like isn't it cool?" Like,、um, and when you do a project like that, you're, you know, we do a restaurant. I mean, in El Paso, Texas, like thousands of people run through those things、mm-hmm. a year. I mean, if not more, you know. And when you think about it, I mean, like you. You've been to my sister's restaurant, and、yes. you know it's her lifelong dream to do this little bakery cafe. And we worked on it long and hard, and we got to a point where you know a lot of people come through, and they're like, "Oh my god, we really like how this looks. The food is really great, and we don't feel like we're in El Paso." And like, thank you for trying to like one up the the current conditions and make things a little bit better. And there's a sense of pride that she feels, you know, and a sense of accomplishment that I feel that I got her what she needed. But it's also a lot of people go to that place, and a lot of the comments are generally the same that they feel like it's well curated experience. Right.、Um, and that's the point, you know. We're making places where people will wait outside in a line in the winter or in the summer, 
And that's good for El Paso. It's good for business owners. It's good for restaurateurs. It's good for all of these people to have higher goals and constantly setting the bar and their future projects like a little bit higher a step at a time. So when the, the, the short answer to your question about how we mentor and like what that general approach is, is that you got to let these people know that this is a long-term game and there is a lot of benefit and there is a lot of reward to it. And there is a lot of work that you have to put into it. And we're here to make you feel comfortable to ask whatever kind of questions you need, expose you to whatever we can. So if, and when you leave us, you're best prepared to make the most impact somewhere else because I didn't, start this company and name it after myself like a lot of architects lawyers doctors do you know it's not asfahani architects and associates it's called root architects and i deliberately chose that name because it's bigger than just me and it needs to extend its roots through the community and be able to take on new people and new projects and leave a lasting impression and i want people to feel part of that team to be proud of it at whatever capacity it is and so trying to set that atmosphere and that culture in the office is important and we try to stick to it awesome awesome so you said your your parents are immigrants right so are mine what have you learned from them and how does that translate in your work well um as you know pretty much every culture that's not american is very family oriented <laughs> yeah and very culturally oriented you know america is a relatively new place and so everybody here is an immigrant right mm -hmm. you know and they're uh, you know a couple centuries old you know like dad's house is like 300 years old in lebanon right? that part of the world has been continuously inhabited for five six thousand years you know in generation upon generation upon generation and then you see them, you see the world over there. It's this um, palimpsest of culture and people. And uh, it's kind of the best way to describe it. You know, palimpsest, it's, it's, it's like imagine you're writing, like you have a sketchbook and then you have a pencil and then you like draw in that sketchbook really hard and then you erase whatever you wrote yeah. and then you draw really hard and then you erase whatever you wrote and then you draw a picture on top of it. Like you see the picture, but you also see the indentations and some mm -hmm. of the missed erased parts of the layers underneath, they all bleed through. And so you're seeing them at the same time. Yeah. Like that's something that's very obvious over there because you have, like my dad's hometown has Roman ruins that are the second largest collection of ancient ruins in the world behind the Acropolis. They're 25 or 3,000 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, it's incredible because it's just in your backyard. Like we play soccer and you have kids <laughs> and things like that. And then you see about how people value that history and how they value that family and how, you know, there's generations. Like my mom's brother in Syria got we were talking to him once a couple years ago and he was like pissed off because he was like trying to pick, trace back his lineage and he got back to like 1200 or 1100 or something like that and then it stopped and he's like well i can't find like what happened it sucks like dude that's a thousand years ago that's pretty good you <laughs> yeah. know and he's like ah but you know our family's been here for all this time but it's funny because they're desensitized a little bit to like, what that is you know like people here like oh my god and like independence hall is so old it's 250 years old and you're like in rome and beirut you're like you 
there's five layers of streets that are a thousand years old each that are underneath it. We're, we're at, you know, 250 years old. It's, it like doesn't make a museum there anymore. And so having that sense of permanence kind of built into your head, like, look, we're trying to make a difference because we all we got is family. And, you know, we're trying to be part of a community. We're trying to make a long lasting impact in that community. And then we've got a name and that name needs to be something that you're proud of and carried on and passed on to your kids. And so think a little extra, give it a little bit more attention when you're talking about any of the decisions that you make, because you're not just making them for you, you're making them for all of us. Right. And like you screw up, I mean, we're all gonna look bad. Mm -hmm. You do well, we're all gonna look good, you know? And it's important because if it doesn't matter, then why are you doing it? And so we've tried, you know, like moving back here is, uh, and being next to my family and working on projects like with my sister and things like that have been really great because like it matters. It's, it's making them happy. It's making our kids happy. It's making the community happy. And like more than anything, that's what they taught me and still teach me all the time. Right. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you've learned about El Paso's history. Um, this is censored, right? No, it's not. But we, we're going to label it as explicit, so you're fine. Yeah, so it's weird because the individuals in El Paso are far better than most individuals I've met across the country and places I've been overseas. Uh, and especially with the kind of work that we do and like, you know, I meet people at my sister's restaurant and I sit there and have coffee or whatever. And they just always talk about how nice El Paso is, and how nice the people are and how like the general attitude about it is nice and cool and laid back and not pretentious and all of these things. And it's really nice, but historically El Paso is filled with a bunch of fucking morons because <laughs> they don't, in my opinion, do enough to make their community better. You know, it's, it's been frustrating, especially in the kind of work that we do because we do all the work, right? Mm -hmm. Like I said, like our project scope variety includes everything. So everybody needs an architect when they're doing something, right? And then so you'll talk about people who are always like complaining that El Paso doesn't have any good restaurants. And then people try opening up good restaurants and then Nobody goes there because they didn't want to wait in line. And can you believe they wouldn't give me a straw with my drink? And so I didn't want to go there. And they're like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, yeah. you're just in Phoenix and spent $500 on dinner for three people. And you won't spend 60 bucks at this place because you don't like their cups or the waitress wasn't professional. I'm like, I understand. And I mean, it is something that people are working on. But can you complain less and act more is kind of what we say because you know then they'll come up to us and using the restaurant example people are like oh well we want to do this really great thing but El Paso won't support it and it's not all because of like we, we tried it once and it didn't work I'm like well I worked on the last one and we had this plan and we did this amazing set of drawings and figured out a budget and then you tried cutting that budget in half by doing it by yourself fucked it all up it took a year too long you didn't have any money left to properly train your staff or test your kitchen and you know get all the kinks out before you open. So you half-assed it and opened early so you can start paying back. It was the food sucked, the service sucked, like you know, the bathrooms weren't finished, 
Like that's like that's not because El Paso suck. It's because you suck, and you didn't. You know, you don't have those opportunities in Los Angeles or Phoenix or Austin because it's so much more expensive. And if you screw up one time, you're done. And here, you're like, ah,、oh, see what happens. And it's not that big of a financial commitment. And screw it, let's see what happens. I'm gonna try to save fifty thousand bucks. Everybody that knows anything about anything, like you have to spend money to make money. And if you do it right, good things happen usually. And so that's been the frustrating part. Is what I've learned about El Paso's history is that everybody's trying to do it on the cheap. Everybody's in a hurry. Everybody doesn't really respect each other here in the sense that they have faith that they can execute a project or a business or anything like that. And so you have this culture of mediocrity that's just kind of stuck around for a while. How do we get out of it? Well, by starting your own business and not dealing with those people is why I got out of it. It's like, look, I'm gonna make sure it's okay. We're gonna make sure our projects are okay. We're going to lead by example. We're going to, you know, we want to do a, a project. This is how you do it. Like, you don't want to do it that way. You don't like. Well, screw you. We'll do it ourselves. You know. And so that's what we're doing. And we're showing people, like, even in the space that we're talking in right now, like this wasn't an inexpensive project.、Um, But it was planned out well. It was executed well. We gave it the proper timeline, and then now people walk by and like, "Oh my God, we haven't seen anything like this in El Paso." Like, it's not hard to do this stuff in El Paso.、Mm-hmm. You just gotta not be an asshole and realize that if you do it right and spend a little bit of money, just like with everything, you get what you pay for. Like, what's so hard about that? The culture is dramatically changing now because you can't do projects anymore in other cities. El Paso is really like the last frontier. It's one of those few places where, I mean, I'm doing a lot of real estate development right now,、mm-hmm. and it's not because I'm wealthy or particularly smart, or it's just because the opportunity still exists. Like me and some friends, we bought a building downtown, block away from the plaza, for the price of a big house. Right? It wasn't really、mm-hmm. that. You know, thirty thousand square feet in downtown of one of the biggest cities in the United States, and we're going to put condos on top of it because we want to live downtown. And there's no condos. And we we're talking to people, and they're like, "Ah, nobody will ever do it, and nobody can afford it."、And、we're like, "You know what? F you, we're going to do it, and we're going to live in our own condos." And so that's what we're going to do. But people realize that they can move back here, and you can't go buy a piece of property in Austin. One, there isn't a piece of property, and two, if there is, it's not anything that you can realistically afford without having a big pile of cash somewhere or putting yourself at the risk of being in some severe debt. Here, you know, we're working on some projects that are pretty significant. Um, pretty substantial, pretty game-changing. That are in that like one to five million dollar range, which isn't a lot of money now. That's like it's not crazy to think that somebody's going to do a food hall or a condo or an apartment project for three million bucks. Like, it's not really a lot of money when you think about everything that goes into it. But if you're doing it in Austin, you'd probably need twelve million bucks、mm-hmm. to do the same project, and that's a lot more millions of bucks. So. I'm giving you all of these very long answers to short questions, but it's <laughs> our our attitude with answering your last two questions is you learn that El Paso has dealt with mediocrity, dealt with mediocrity for a long time, and that they're also chomping at the bit for new opportunities. And so for both of those, we're like, look, we'll just show you how to do it. 
we're going to put our money where our mouths are, our effort where it should be put, and then we're going to do our own little projects that are going to show you the roadmap as to how to be successful and make an impact in your community without compromising anything in terms of your expectations or your finances. Mm -hmm. What do you like about our city's architecture? And with your projects, are you enhancing it or are you changing it? Um, the architecture in El Paso and the general design is both really good and really bad because we have a long history of fantastic architecture. You know, El Paso was one of the most progressive cities in the world at the turn of the century, not this last century, the, the 19th century, right? Mm -hmm. And, or 20th century, um, 21st, I don't even know anymore, yeah. But when you look at what was going on in the beginning of the 1900s, like we had, like the Mills Building was the largest concrete structure in the world, you know, high rise. We had one of the most expansive um, above ground light rail systems, like trolleys and things like that. Uh, commerce, everything was really great. And you had the Henry Trost of the world who was our old famous architect who did all of these like really great iconic buildings all around El Paso, especially downtown. They were, I mean, the guy's famous, Frank Lloyd Wright is even, have been said to come down here when he was tail end of his career and he's living in Phoenix and looking at some of the projects and be like, you know, cause his style was mimicked in a few of them. There's like a house on Hawthorne. That's like, looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright house. And he's like, where'd this come from? How'd I get here? And so there was a lot of attention to that. You know, there's some big companies, there's big money. There was this idea that El Paso is going to be this big, great place. And it was planned correctly and it was nice. What happened is over the course of El Paso's history, it just became like any other sprawling American city, like land is cheap you, know, you can go build your track home, buy your piece of the American dream for a hundred thousand bucks in Horizon or in God knows where they got to on the west side of El Paso. Um, and so that is terrible. I mean, the, the, how the designs are awful, like the just general like in respect to culture and community, like those things suck because they don't really have the amenities that build in like culture and walkability and all that kind of stuff. You know, like people go home and just get, you know, they, they get in their car in the garage and then they leave and they park in the garage at work and then they go to work and then they reverse and come home and park their car in the garage and then close the garage. It's like, they don't see outside. They don't have neighbors or houses are like right on the property lines. Um, you don't want to go to the movie theater or anywhere because it's kind of far from where you're at. It's annoying and all that stuff. I mean, that's not just an El Paso thing. That's happened everywhere in America. But because it's still so cheap to do that, so inexpensive, somebody can, like, why would I pay 1200 bucks a month to live in an apartment when mm -hmm. I can have, pay 1100 bucks a month and live in a house? And tell everybody that I own a house and all that kind of stuff. And so when it comes to our work, and the things that we're trying to push is that I feel like the answer to every design question is usually always density wins. I mean, the closer you are to stuff, mm -hmm. the better you are to stuff. Um, if you can walk to the park or a grocery store or to a restaurant, then the quality of life is just going to be exponentially better.
so it's really nice. And so when we try to do projects, we just try to enhance that community feel, not really have, I mean, a problem a lot of architects have is that they have big egos and are sitting in spots where they're going to tell you what is right. Like, let me tell you what you need here. And it's their vision and they kind of mm -hmm. shoehorn your attitude into that vision. And for us, we're like, well, let the project, the client and the site tell us what we need to do here. I mean, we've talked to more people out of doing bad projects and we've worked with people on doing good projects. And that's equally, if not more important in the world of community shaping and city shaping and things like that. And so to answer your question, it just kind of depends on what we feel like the situation needs. And some of our architecture, we try to do, like if you've seen our projects around town, we try to do things that have their own identity because we respect our community and we respect the infrastructure that's around whatever project that we're doing. Like I bought a lot in Sunset Heights and I'm gonna build some apartments on it for my family. And everybody's super concerned that I'm gonna do this like really modern whatever on it and ruin the integrity of a historically significant neighborhood. Like you have to build, like the rules are you have to build like a something that goes, that the Historic Landmark Commission approves. And you're like, well, look, actually no. <laughs> the rules by the Department of the Interior that oversee that say that anything I build has to be significantly different from what was there to preserve the context and the integrity of the historic and not try to like Disneyland fake something next order. So if I wanted to build a five-story steel box with glass, I can't because, and that's what they would actually prefer, prefer, but how do we do something that's a little bit more subtle? How do we do something that's a little bit more um, appropriate for just the neighborhood? And, you know, maybe instead of making this big, bold statement where everybody notices, maybe I do something that somebody doesn't notice. Not that it like looks like it was there, but it's just so minimal and subtle that you have a hard time noticing it. Like, oh, hey, that's, I never noticed that place and like until you're there. And so those are the kinds of things that we struggle with and those are the kind of decisions that we have to make. But we're making the community better with the projects that we do because we think and care about the community because we are part of the community and our kids are going to be part of the community and all of those things. And so that's the very long answer to yeah. the question. Well, I grew up in Sunset Heights and that's one of my favorite areas of town. Vilas Elementary, I attended that, nice. that school there. So um, I love, love, love the area. Um, where is the apartment complex going to be? It's on the corner of Yandel and Corto. All right, so I'll take a look, because every morning before coming here, I go and take a walk at Sunset Heights. We just, um, me and a couple friends just, I gotta go drop off the paperwork today, but we're buying an apartment on, it's 11.06 Monday. It's like a two-story. I lived there. I lived in Monday yeah. Street. Yeah. So we're going to, there's a little lot next to it, I mean, this particular complex. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to go over there and we're going to build like a little threeplex on the lot and then keep the apartments. And that's going to be a fun project because we have to directly consider the context of what we're doing. And on our property, we have a hundred-year-old building, you know, so we have to, excuse me, take all that into consideration. And it's going to be a fun challenge because like, how do you do what's most appropriate? Like, I don't know what that answer is. You don't know what that answer is. Like, you'll know it if it's not appropriate, right? It's like, <laughs> what the hell is this thing? Um, and so, you know, doing personal projects, especially as architects, like there's a little bit more attention given to you by the community. Like, okay, so you're going to live in this apartment thing, right? 
so this is going to be for you. Like, what kind of you are you? Are you like really gaudy? I'm going to let everybody know that like, look how cool I am. Uh, am I going to just like try to blend in and not get any kind of attention from it? Am I going to do something in the middle? So there's a lot of challenges that are there, but I'm trying to figure out what the right answer is. I mean, there isn't a right answer, but trying to figure out what the most appropriate response is, is kind of the fun part of what we do. Cool, cool. So you've talked a little bit about where we are as a city. Where are we going? Uh, there's nowhere to go but up. I mean, it's really one of those places where if you look at, I mean, where were people going 10 years ago or 20 years ago? I mean, like 10 years ago when I was graduating high school, everybody wanted to go to like Austin and Phoenix and LA and New York. And now you're seeing a lot more like Asheville's and Denver's and New Orleans and things like that, but you can't go anywhere anymore. I mean, depending on what you want to do. I, I mean, property is still relatively inexpensive here. The cost of living is relatively inexpensive here compared to other cities. Opportunity is relatively plentiful here. And so I think that you're going to start seeing a lot more bigger companies coming and taking advantage of that. You know, they can come build a facility here, give 20,000 people a job, pay them not as much as that they would have to pay them in Tucson or Phoenix or LA or something like that. You know, if you're trying to pay somebody a hundred thousand dollars in Phoenix, like you could probably get away with paying them 60 to 80,000 bucks here. You got 10,000 employees. That's, you know, two to $20 million of savings that you might mm -hmm. have annually. Like it's worth considering, right? Like, um, and so I think what ends up happening in a lot of these places, uh, the school is getting bigger, the school is getting better. They're always talking about UTEP being this tier one university and they got a football team and a basketball team. And so it's like still cool and fun. Like the public schools are relatively fine over here. Um, traveling is still relatively easy over here. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've showed up to the airport uh, or like I live on the west side and I've had flights that were taking off within the hour and then went through traffic, got to the airport, parked my car, walked through security, waited for a little bit, and then sat at the gate and still had like 20 minutes before my flight took off, which doesn't happen in other places. And so I think that when you start pooling all of that together and you start thinking about the opportunities that are going to be available, that are and going to be available, it where are you going to go? Like, you're going to go open an architecture firm in Austin? Like, yeah, with the 5,000 other people that did that last month? Yeah, I mean, and then you're going to, be clawing for opportunities. Okay, I'm gonna open a call center. I want to open a hospital. I want to open a like a tech company. Whatever I want to like, you can do that here. The way that the world works now is you don't have to be anywhere to do work, right? I could be working on a project in New York right now. I don't have to be there. And so, being able to afford all of these things and having the opportunity to like look where we are. We're, we're on. We're like one block away from downtown in a project that's at empty for a long time and the opportunity to get it revitalized and do what we're doing was there right and so it happened you can't do that in other places and i think that if you look at that over the broad scale of the city you know with the kind of people that are coming back that realize that that opportunity is there there's nowhere to go but uh, i mean you're going to see el paso I mean, it already isn't the same city it was five years ago it's not the same city it was 10 years ago in five years like we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, the hotels that they're working on, there's 
200 plus million dollars of a hotel renovation that's happening in downtown El Paso right now. And it's, we've reached this event horizon, this critical mass of things that can start happening now, right? Like we just convinced the Texas Society of Architects to have their annual convention here next year or 2022 what year um it's a big deal like it's a convention because there's enough rooms now and enough cool stuff to accommodate that that's just one of potentially 10 20 conventions that can come in the next few years and that's how san antonio built itself if you've been to san antonio like Mm -hmm. san antonio is a shit city um it used to be their greatest thing was that they convinced people that they were on the border the river walk is a drainage canal that's man-made that have you ever seen it yeah. indeed it's like filled with <laughs> trash and diapers and but people like going down there why because there's a bunch of hotels and it became touristy and there's convention centers and then now like last time i was in san antonio i was like f you san antonio like look how great you've been there's there's public infrastructure is awesome there's all these great projects the schools are killing it like like everything in san antonio has gotten better since i was there right and it's because they had more people showing up there for conventions and visiting and most retirees pick where they retire because of a good vacation experience. Like I was here and it was so much fun and it was, the weather was great and getting around was easy. Let's go retire there. Um, retirees like spending money on restaurants and playing golf and those kinds of things. And so. I mean, this thing that's happening downtown is going to have, in my opinion, a huge effect on the future direction of El Paso because it's becoming a destination of sorts and people are going to be exposed to our little secret of El Paso sooner than later. Cool. So um, where do you find your design inspiration? Um, I drink a lot and (laughs) don't sleep. So it's a constant state of drunken dementia (laughs) now um my sister makes fun of me because she's like you're always you're always like drinking something i was like i like who doesn't like margaritas they're delicious like i'm not wasted but like jesus christ dude like it's nice to be able to like take the edge off and relax and um there's something that's really nice about food and drink that helps you get to know people or an environment or yourself i mean that's why when you go on a date, you like go have drinks with somebody or when you have a business meeting, like you go have lunch or coffee or something like it's very important to constantly surround yourself with the things that make the culture have meaning. Like if you're eating some food, it's made from local ish ingredients. <laughs> you're having a cocktail. It's made by a local ish bartender or barista. If you're having some coffee and you're talking with somebody and you get to like appreciate things a little bit more. And so, I mean, we try to find inspiration by putting ourselves contextually in places that provide inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your muse? It just kind of depends what it is. I mean, if we're designing restaurants, bars, for example, um, it's nice to be able to go to different restaurants and bars that are similar in scope and attitude and i mean a lot of times that means you have to go out of town to see uh like for example we're working on a couple food hall projects like we want to do some some nice um multi-restaurant dining experiences uh there isn't one in el paso right i mean i guess there's a food court at cielo vista but that doesn't really count uh so we went to la and phoenix and denver to see like these are 30 food halls we just saw 
we got to see how it's not because we don't have the capacity to think about what they could be, but you have to go see about how they've been executed. And then you sit and talk with a business owner who's been operating it for a couple years and ask him what some of the challenges were, what some of the pitfalls were, if you could go back and redo it over again. I mean, it's just trying to accumulate as much information as possible. Because like I said earlier, we have to become little experts on all of these things. I have to know about the business operations. I have to know about how many staff you're going to have, where you wash the dishes. Like we have to know all of those things so that we can make the best type of environment for that particular concept. Right. And a lot of times it's good to see what didn't work because a lot of things in our world could be great on paper, but the application of it can be very challenging at times. And so we try to draw a lot of inspiration by physically putting ourselves in contextual situations that inform those decisions, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Where do you see your company in the next five years? Man, it's like a job interview. Um, <laughs> I think the direction that we're taking is this hybrid approach to design development and um, like property management and construction because we understand that there's a lot of benefit to being able to execute a project or concept well, right? It's important not only because of the financial implications, but also because of the precedent it may set for other people. And so we found like with the working capital here and a couple of the other projects that we're working on that us being more in control of not only the design, but the construction, um, the financing, and even the long-term operations, um, operations and potential like, turnover of the property, whatever we end up doing, is something that's very interesting because not to be like arrogant or cocky about it, but we feel like we're doing a good job at putting out good final products. And El Paso deserves that. And so we like making money just like everybody and we like doing good projects, uh, which is most everybody's intention, right? It's not screwed up and half-ass it. But I think that we're just, there's a lot of benefit and feel goodness about being able to show people that it can be done and giving them that example of like, look, we did it. I mean, I don't want to hear you complain about how much it's going to cost or there's another way to do it. I had, a, I had a phone call from a guy right now before I walked in here and he was like, Hey, you know, I, I need you to call somebody at the city. The permits are taking too long. I was like, um, one, no, I don't. If I'm going to call in a favor, it's like, sure as hell not going to be for this thing. And two, my project they haven't gotten to yet. Like, they're busy. They're doing things. There's a process, man. Like, it's not El Paso of old. Like, who do you know? Like, call a guy and take care of it for you. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. There's, you try to do a project in Austin, like, it takes six months to review the project. Like, you just need to plan accordingly. We told you it's going to take a couple weeks to do this. You just need to plan accordingly. And if I'm okay with it on my own project, uh, your money is not more important than my money. I mean, m your project isn't more important than my project. My projects, my personal projects and my personal money are the most important things to me, right? And if I'm playing by the rules, like you need to play by the rules. But like, look, there's benefit in doing it the right way. Because then we go through the proper inspection and everything gets expedited and everybody's happy. So just like pump the brakes, man, and let's do it the right way. And so we're trying to set those precedents at every level with how we treat our employees, with how we do our design of how we 
provide guidance and professional services. And so I would really hope that our company is the role model on how to do design and development in the Southwest in five years. Cool. Awesome. Um, where can we find you? Well, I'm usually upstairs in this building. Um, Three eleven kind of Montana. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we've um, the Root Architects office are at Three Eleven Montana upstairs, which I think we're getting evicted again. Are we moving to the basement? I don't know what Chris is doing with us. You'll be in the building. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so I'll be in the parking lot in my car. Um, yeah. No. What you can. The nice thing about us is that we are an us and there's a lot of little branches and roots to root and so we have representation at the building at downtown at my sister's restaurant at all of the projects that we've worked on um, what is your sister's restaurant my sister's restaurant is called salt and honey it's on 801 piedras it's funny because she's like on, on piedras 801 yandel like no next to the bus station no Next to the police station, no. Across the street from Coconuts, oh! <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen that place. Right, Jesus Christ. Um, but it's nice because, you know, we like to have meetings and talk to clients and friends at projects that we've worked on, like showing them off a little bit. Not because we're like, oh, look at us, and like, look how great this wall we designed it. But it's like, look at this owner who's making money and is happy because we were able to help them achieve whatever goal it is they had. And all of our clients are still our friends. And I think that says a lot about just kind of the attitude that we have because it's meaningful. Like tying back to what I said earlier, like. I live here my kids live here like they're gonna have to walk around with their last names in their back and i need them to be proud and it's happened it's kind of like my favorite thing is that when my daughters come home like oh we were talking to somebody about um you know like i was with my friends and their parents and they're like oh we want to go to this new place and like have you been there? like so cool and she's like yeah i've been there like uh, here's a picture of me like scrubbing the floor or like putting <laughs> tile up or like oh yeah it's cool like or they'll say like hey it looks like you're you know like we saw this place like we know that your dad worked on it because it looks like something that your dad would work on and they would say like what do you mean by that they're like well it just is like cool and different and it works and she's like well yeah he did work on it and so like yeah. that kind of stuff i mean i can make you happy from working on your project but if i can make a 16 and 11 year old proud to be associated with that project also like what else is there that's all i mean that's all you that's all you need as a parent it's like yep i win yeah yeah well, i just want to thank you for being here with us today um it's a, been a really meaningful conversation and um i really enjoyed it thank you for being here today it was my pleasure Some takeaways. Rita had an accident that caused him to reevaluate his life. Choose a career where you can make an impact. Take some chances. You can't quit till you finish. Take time to read and better yourself. Your name needs to be something that you're proud of and pass on to your kids. Think a little extra when it comes to your decisions. You're not just making them for you. If it doesn't matter, then why are you doing it? Can you complain less and act more? Lead by example 
show people things can be executed well. You will get what you pay for, make an impact in your community, and you can work on a project from anywhere. Thanks for listening.